Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestoninzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe so we can help you master the art of selling. Habits form a very important part of sales success. When you think about it, each day we perform certain duties. There are things that we need to do each and every day that allow us to progress opportunities, to bring new net new opportunities into the pipeline. There are things that we need to do to achieve an outcome. In selling, it's really simple. We're judged on a performance. Our performance is based on the amount of sales that we make. We have a target and we need to hit that target. And I know some will argue, hey, the world of sales has changed and you know, performance metrics and activities and you know, selling's not about numbers, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is, if we don't hit our number, it can create some concern for us as sales professionals. That's why I'm really excited to talk to this week's guest, RJ Singh. He's an incredible operator. He's got a podcast. It's all about ultra habits. And he focuses on the habits. What are the things that one must do to take themselves to the next level, to find that extra 1% in their performance? And we're going to talk a bit about his journey where he came from, the challenges that he experienced that enabled him, that allowed him to find that extra 1% because it's not wasn't all rosy for him. So this is a great episode. And I think for a lot of sellers who have had to pivot over the past 18 months, that have had to find, you know, recreate themselves because it's been a pretty challenging time for many, this is a great episode. This episode is brought to you by Vidyard, Vidyard. the online video tool for sales professionals. Vidyard makes it easy for sales teams to turn text-based emails into personal video messages and will help you engage with your prospects and create an incredible buying experience for them, which will ultimately help you reach your pipeline and revenue goals. So do yourself a favor, get to vidyard.com, sign up and start using video in your sales process. So enjoy, buckle up, take some notes, get the popcorn out because you're going to really enjoy this episode with RJ. Welcome to the show, RJ. How are you, Luigi? Yeah, I'm pretty pumped, man. Pretty pumped. I'm excited um, to talk to you a bit about sort of, you know, the ultra habits, the mindset of a high performer and how sellers um, can find that extra 1%, mate. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Thanks for yeah, having me. But before we get into today's show, mate, we'd love to know a bit more about you and how you started in the world of sales. Yeah, so I'll be brief. I'm not going to give you uh, <laughs> my life story, so so your listeners don't have to worry about that. But look, I am the head of growth and director of Core Group. So there's a, a group of group of us that run that company. It's a, a logistics company here in Australia. It's a non-asset based logistics company. So we're disrupting the traditional model of lots of trucks and warehouses. And we effectively manage it all in an outsourced model. So that's my day gig. And I also am the founder and host of Ultra Habits Podcast, which is a show focused on high performance, on the corporate athlete, as we call it, in terms of how do we get the most out of ourselves every day in terms of what we call ultra performance. Yeah, that's awesome. And and tell me a bit more about this, um, the, the business that you run, Ahead of Growth, um, you know, for those that might not know the logistics game. Um, What is it that separates you from from the rest in that particular vertical? 
Yeah, so it's a very solution-orientated cell. It's a conceptual cell. It's it's not easy for everyone. So effectively, businesses that use traditional transport companies, whether it be a toll or a Star Trek Express, a TNT or DHL, uh, they may use multiple warehouse providers. Instead of them using the asset-based companies directly, what they'll do is they'll come to us and they will ask us to effectively source partners to manage it all. So there's some benefits there in terms of rationalization, uh, economies of scale, we're able to offer more competitive pricing, it's one throat to choke, one customer service team, one account management team, one invoice reconciliation process, a streamlined contract process. So effectively, it's a more customized approach than effectively a customer going directly to carriers and trying to get the carrier to mold themselves to the requirement of their business. We're in a better position to, to customize that offer. We typically focus on customers that have high margin in their products. We stay away from commodity-based customers focusing on the medical sector, industrial sectors, yep. mining, where responsiveness is required, a real um, high level of customer service. That's kind of the space that we play in. Yeah, so basically, um, you're really focused on creating bespoke solutions for organizations and allow them to deal with one person versus dealing with a variety of people and making it easier for them to, to solve their particular logistics problems. Correct, correct. It's a scalable solution, whereas when a business is dealing directly with multiple providers, it can be messy to onboard new providers. They've got system integration with us. The system's already there. We can just plug and play okay. other vendors into the ecosystem, which enables a, a, bit, a much easier solution, right? Yeah, fantastic. And what were some of the challenges when you sort of started this firm and given that it's a, it's a non-traditional logistics model that you encountered? It, uh, this may be um, a bit of insight to your salespeople that want to uh, get a seat at the table. Yeah. I actually didn't start the firm. Okay. I, was a, I, was a, I was a gun rep in what is now our biggest competitor. Um, I was one of the best reps in, in an organization that uh, is the biggest in our industry. In fact, uh, was just purchased by Singapore Post. Okay. And what I did in 2015 was I knew that I wanted equity. I wanted a stake in a company. And at that point, I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do to get that stake? And how am I going to get a seat at the table? I didn't want to be a sales guy on commission forever. Mm. Those golden handcuffs that we salespeople can find ourselves with. So what I did was I went to market and I looked at companies that were about five or six years behind the company I was in. Companies that were willing to pay for my sword, mm. right? I, was a, I looked at myself as a samurai, right? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to look at which daimyo is willing to pay for my sword, but which organization aligns with my values, culturally, a fit, blah, blah, blah. So I went to about four or five different companies and I ended up joining a company called Freight Concepts with an equity deal, right? And that company, we rebranded two years ago or three years ago now into Cora, right? So I didn't start the company. I came in later on as a, as a, a head of sales in New South Wales on an equity deal. Yeah, fantastic. So you essentially 
really gave some consideration to what you wanted out of your career and used your ability to, to leverage and get yourself into a, into a director role? Yeah, I think a lot of salespeople, we can tend to get caught up in the commission game, mm. but we forget that as we get older, our energy is not going to be the same. And at some point, you want to be in an organization where you're able to use that, use that compounding effect of your energy. Yeah. And when you have ownership in a company, you're able to do that. When you're on a commission structure, you're on a hamster wheel forever. That mm. requires output day in, day out, day yeah. in, day out. And I'm not saying that I don't give that output on a daily basis now, but it's now compounding for me in the yeah. background. Right, because I've got equity in a company, that company increases in value, so does my equity. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation thread, right? Because I think high-performing sales profession, professionals, that commission is a great motivator, but it's an extrinsic motivator, right? It's not what really, uh, it doesn't necessarily get me bouncing out of bed in the morning. It's not the commission that's motivating me. There's an intrinsic motivator something else that's a bit deeper that the commission allows me to execute on. Um, given that you were in that, you know, role where you were top of the game, um, incredible hitting, incredible numbers, what was getting you out of bed each morning and, and driving you to sort of push past the, the barriers and then develop the ultra habits? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So I think you asked me the original question as to why I got into sales. And I think that will tell you, or that will give your listeners that, that purview, right. Of what was motivating me. So that organization that I left was an organization that I did very well in, but it was also an organization that I transformed in as an individual. So when I came to Australia from the United States in 2008, I had left, a life in the United States of, of, of crime, of in and out of juvenile detention centers to adult jails, prisons. And whilst I had a degree in business, I had lived my life on the wrong side of the ledger um, my, whole, my whole life in the US. And part of the reason I came to Australia was I was born here and I had a lot of heat on me and I'm not going to get into that, but I left the country and came to Australia in 2008 and I was 25. I had no skills. Mm. I got a job in entry level sales at DHL and that's how I got into logistics. So I'm in telesales at DHL <laughs> and I'm making no money and I'm like used to making money easy and quick. And I'm looking at these people swanning in and out of the office with coffees and talking and chatting. And I'm like, well, what do they do? And yeah. someone's like, well, they're field sales reps. I was like, I can do that shit, man. Like drinking coffee. What kind of, you know, they look like they had some money. They smell good at a nice car. You know what I'm driving this Commodore. It's all beat up and whatever. So long story short, I hustle my way um, into this company uh, in Melbourne. I moved from Brisbane to Melbourne and, um, you know, I'm drinking still, I'm out of control. I'm smoking 80 cigarettes a day, but I'm cold calling. I'm going crazy. I'm loud. And everyone's like, this guy's a maniac. And anyways, long story short, one day I, you know, I resign. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm 
up and down in terms of my headspace and my emotions. And I resign and I resign when I'm drunk five in the morning on a, on a, on a, on a Saturday morning to one of the directors who's, who's, um, a CFO of the, of that previous company. He calls me for coffee, uh, for on Monday. And, you know, he asked me, well, look, what's going on? You know, he goes, I've seen you as someone that has a lot of potential. I don't know you very well. I'm the CFO, but I'm going to be transitioning his in, into the GM role. And I don't want you to resign. And I told him everything. At that point in my life, I was 25, 26. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was tired of always um, landing on my ass. And, you know, here was someone that was asking me, well, what's your story? And I told him everything about the U.S. I finally was honest with somebody. And this guy was a teacher. He loved to take people on. And he said to me, he goes, look, you get your shit together. I see some potential in you. I'm coming in on, as a GM now mm. from head of finance, and I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to take you under my wing, right? And so that whole two years of growth and performance through sales, what sales was for me was an opportunity to move away from who I was before. It had a very deep meaning for me. It wasn't a paycheck. Yeah. It was the more successful I was in sales and business, the more I was moving away from that scumbag that arrived on the doorstep of Australia in 2008. And when I got on that journey of transformation through business, it wasn't about the money. It was how far could I go? Mm. And so when I decided to leave that company, I was getting paid a lot of money. Right. But I was on a journey. I was I was doing an executive MBA at yeah. UNSW. A lot of salespeople don't go do MBAs. Yeah. Because what's the immediate reward? Mm. For me, I wanted to get better, faster, stronger, quicker. And and when I decided to leave that company, I'm sitting in a corporate finance class and I learned about this thing called equity dividends. And I just knew that getting ownership was it was. It was part of my journey. It, it, yeah. was, it was part of the story, right? And that was beyond any paycheck or any yeah. commission. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I, think, I think the reason why this is, is quite a powerful story, right, it's because I think for many people it's not a and, – and I'd love to, con, you know, I'd love to change, and I think it is changing, but – you don't hear many people in, in high school say, I want to be in sales when I grow up, right? Um, most people say, I fell into sales. I've asked this, you know, I've, I've had the, the privilege of, of training and coaching in the thousands of salespeople now. And I've had, I don't think of anyone, had anyone say, you know what, I, had, I knew I was going to be in sales. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people, they fall into sales. I know I did. I did because for me, school and me didn't mix. I had potential, right? But the system didn't drive that, and I can't blame them, but the system wasn't designed to bring that potential out of me, right? Um, and I still think the system has its flaws. But it didn't bring that potential out of me, but I fell into sales because I couldn't do anything else. I wasn't good with my hands. I tried, mate, renovations, carpentry, no good. Um, I was fortunate that I had a really good, uh, I had a great ability to talk to people and engage with people and have a conversation and lead that conversation to a point of action, right? 
So I think for a lot of salespeople, they fall into a role. They're like, I didn't really want to do this. And then it comes with a little bit of negative sort of stigma, especially if, you, if you're like us. You know, I started hammering phones when I was 17 years old, door knocking. So that was the most negative stigma, especially in Australia. It's a bit different in America, right, the way they view sales. But I think the reason why this story is resonating for me is because a lot of people don't say they're going to be in sales when they grow up. They fall into the role. They kind of stumble through. There's a bit of training, maybe not develop some bad habits um, and you've kind of had that from a life experience and realized, hey, there's something that's deeper within that I want to work on and sales is going to allow me to get there, right? And I want to talk a bit about that. I want to talk about sort of when you had that realization, what were the actions that you took that allowed you to make that transformation become reality? It's a very good question. It's a very good point. So I think when I look at my life in the United States, I lived on the wrong side of the ledger, the law ledger. Um, but reflecting back, I wasn't a lazy person. I was actually quite structured in, a, in, in the chaos, mm. but I only have been able to reflect on that. And when I had this conversation with Matthew, my GM, who's still in Melbourne, by the way, um, buying and selling businesses. And uh, I started to understand, because here's my first male influence that is positive. He started to become my template. And he was a very disciplined person, mm. a very disciplined person. And at the time, probably a bit of a workaholic, but that was okay. But what I started to do was, because I was getting sober, I, I decided to get sober. So I've been sober from alcohol over 10 years. And I knew that to be successful in sales and business, I needed to be sober because I needed the consistency. So immediately, I start to embark on this change of mind, body, spirit. I start to run, start to eat better. I start to look after myself in a way that I never have, man. I never looked after myself ever. Right. I'm starting to get a bit healthier. I've got all this dysfunctional stuff. I have to work through, through counseling. All this stuff is going on. So it's a full transformation. But what sales then does is sales and commerce. And you can actually look at any craft. The Japanese are very, very mm. good at this. It's in their culture that your craft can actually mold you and discipline you, right? So sales, getting in early, being mm. prepared, preparing the night before, follow through, action items, framing. Is a successful salesperson, you always have to be managing the frame, Yep. right? And it, it, it creates a discipline. So what was happening, I was going through this transformative process of life, getting healthy, but the very act of sales and what sales required to be successful, scheduling, being early, that started to shape me too. So I had this kind of dual process going on, if that makes sense, right? And that started to shape me. That was the beginning of the yeah. process. Yeah, this is pretty powerful, right? Um, because I think you talk about those disciplines and that habits and that I was supposed to aligns with the ultra habits podcast, mm -hmm. right? But I, again, I found that um, 
I had two stages of my career. I had the, the stage of my career where I was achieving success, but I had very unhealthy habits. Um, you know, working too much, not eating right, not sleeping right, um, yeah. not putting the right stuff in my body. And although I achieved the outcome, I found mentally I wasn't coping in the right way, right? And then when I made that transition to going, you know what, my body's telling me I need to be, be healthier because of a few things that I had experienced, I found my performance went to another level, right? Um, the running and I'm not, you know, for some people listening, they put, but I don't like running, but I think, mm. and now that as I've got older, I've got, I get injured, RJ, I find other ways to get that fitness levels, to get that, you know, training in, um, where I'll, where I'll go do a high intensity workout or something. Um, but talk to me a bit about, so you've made that transition. You've, you've, you've brought those healthy habits in, you've got that frame in place, right? Mm. What did you do to sustain that high performance? Because I think for a lot of people, it's not just necessarily getting started, putting that framework in mm. place, mm. the habits, it's the mm. sustaining piece mm. that's actually quite difficult and mm. staying motivated, especially mm. like sales mm. is brutal. I talk about this. It's, it's an up and down. It's an emotional mm. high and emotional low. Um, so what did you do to maintain that level of performance? Yeah. It's very a very good point. So the, the, I would preface it with this, that first and foremost, in my view, a, I work with the assumption that individuals, their priority, if they want to embark on a, a journey of high performance, it then it then necessitates that their primary purpose, is the evolution of self. Mm. And if your primary purpose is the evolution of self, that is inbred into your sense of identity. Yeah. And when something is inbred into your sense of identity, sustainability and longevity is going to happen. Fitness isn't something I do. Mm. Fitness is part of who I am. Yeah. Right, get get these habits and the shit that we do that sustain us on that daily path. At the beginning, it requires will, but over the journey, it requires less and less will because Mm. it becomes built into who you effectively are. Yep. The problem is most people don't stay on the path long enough for it to become Mm. who they are it's too fucking hard yeah so they bail yeah you know i'm not i'm nodding i'm i'm engaged with you because i think and and you do some crazy shit with your running right you do you do some (laughs) ultras you do some insane you push your body to the absolute limits and what what you're saying for me is fundamentally the key or is the first step in achieving high performance, it's recognizing what's the values that are sitting within that then drive the thought process that occurs. And I love this because that's what Jim Rohn used to say, right? Jim Rohn used to keep, keep talking about, don't focus on the result. 
right? Because the result comes from the actions you take. Don't focus on the actions because that comes from the emotions that you have and that comes from the thoughts that you have and that comes from the mindset and that's driven by the values that you have within, right? And I think I love what you're saying. But fitness is not something you do. It's part of you. And that's, I, 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 that resonates with me, right? Um, there are certain things that have become part of me and I, and I love that because I think for anyone listening that is, that's looking to get that extra 1%, or that's looking to get that extra 50%, it's about thinking, what are, what are some of the values that are going to drive that mindset? So you, you, you made that, you've made that sort of transition and developed different value system or you adjusted your value system to drive that mindset. What are some of the other tactics that you've employed that's allowed you to sustain that level of, of, of yeah. emotional resilience and, 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 and performance? So routine and structure is core, especially when you then have moving parts like children, commitments. Mm. You have to become very, very prioritized around the essentials. And what are those mechanisms and activities required daily to deliver on? the objectives of your values. Yeah. And we need to continue to reassess that day by day and week by week. And one of the challenges about being structured is becoming too rigid. And that's Mm. another story where you you have to be able to, especially again, when you have kids and, and, and lots of moving parts, yes, you need to be structured at the same time. There needs to be bandwidth, and resilience around lack of structure as well. But I would say in the main, for anyone that's embarking on a journey, it's about structure. So from a practical perspective, I'll tell you what my day typically can look like. And it starts the day before. Mm. So, you know, when I get home tonight, as soon as I get home, the first thing I'll do, I get home, always buy dinner. I don't linger around in offices and talk shit because again, spending time with family is a primary value. I won't sacrifice that Mm. for this perceived performance or output at work, which majority of the times people are lying to themselves. They're just being avoidant of home, right? I get home early. I, as soon as I get home, I prepare my backpack for the next day my clothes and everything is laid out. I put everything in my car. So Mm. there's minimized bullshitting and messing around the next morning in the dark, trying to move around and look for stuff. Everything is placed in my car, ready to go, change of clothes, what I'm going to work out with, all that stuff. I get in, I then sit down, I eat dinner, we get the kids ready, we put them to bed, and I may do a little bit of work, but by 8.30, all the, all the machines are, they're turned off because I'm, I'm aware that for me to sleep, I can't be looking at screens a half an hour or an hour mm. before I go to bed. And then depending on what time I wake up, right. Depending on what time I wake up, that's, that determines what time I go to sleep. So I'm trying to look at eight to nine hours, seven minimum, mm. right? So it might mean eight 30 sleep, nine o'clock sleep, nine 30 sleep, So that way I can get that sleep required because we now live in an era back in the day. I'm sure when you were coming up, like 
sleep was like, who sleeps? Yeah. You know, only chumps sleep. Remember that era of, you know, sleeps for chumps and, you know, yeah. I'm sure you'd remember that, right? Oh, absolutely, man. I, I, I suffered, you know, the highs and lows of it, mate. I had, uh, I burnt out, like, you know, not, not sleeping enough. Uh, had a had a very negative impact and um you know i think and this is this is this is leading to something that i want to ask you because i i'm reflecting as you're you're yeah. telling me about the habits that you use or that that you've embedded into your lifestyle and again when i was working in the office um i did the same thing you know my shirt my slacks or my suit my shirt was in the car everything ready um because why the morning I was up at, you know, 4am, I was at the door at 4.30 every day at the track, you know, quarter past five at the town track in Melbourne, 5.30, run in the office, showered, ready to go just after 7am. Um, and, and I was achieving incredible, incredible success in my role. Um, and, I, I, and that came down to the, to the habit and the routine that I had put in place. I think a question that I have, because yes. this has happened to me, and I think a lot of people is... What do you do when, even though it's in your values, you've built the habits before, you've executed on them, shit goes wrong and you fall back a step and the habit that has enabled you to achieve success for so long is actually not occurring anymore. Have you ever found yourself in that position where you've gone, holy crap, my, my, my routine's broken. <laughs> um, I'm not doing stuff that, allows me to achieve success. Have you had that happen to you in the past few years? Yeah, so life presents content every day. And it is very easy to get lost in content, the content of life. I, we dramatize, we have emotions, mm. and we get lost. And it is part of the human condition to get lost in the content of life, get confused. And sometimes when we get confused, we stop doing the things that are working. Mm. And we fall back to destructive thought patterns, loops, instincts that may not be ideal, fear, um, insecurity, and that will start to drive us to be a certain way in the world. The important thing is that once I recognize it, that I'm lost, I've lost my way, is to come back and reassess and realign. And that's why things like journaling every day is so important. Meditation, anything that provides a a demarcation point in our day to assess, to lift up and look, mm. where am I actually at? And where am I coming from? Right? Then we reassess. Mm. And once you're at that place, you can realign. It's just like in the sales context, when people, let's talk about pipeline management, mm. right? People get a, a strong pipeline and then they start to close the pipeline and they forget to do the <laughs> shit up the front end. Yeah. Because all of a sudden they're successful in the moment, but they stop doing 
the stuff that's required to continue to be successful. This is like sales drama 101. Mm. But that happens in our life. We get lost in the content. We might be successful or unsuccessful. There's shit going on and we get confused and we forget about the process. And so it's really about, and I think journaling is a really good way of, of realigning daily to really yep. see where, where, where am I at? Does that make sense? I hopefully, hopefully that No, it, it absolutely does. I think, because again, I, I don't think anybody could have predicted the year that we've had, right? It's been an, an incredibly challenging year, some more so than others. For some, it's been a blessing. <laughs> it's allowed them to scale their business. I know, you know, a very good friend of mine, it was a blessing. He had a, he had a couple of twins. He had to work from home. It allowed him to have a bit more time and space with his family. Um, mm. So again, I think there's positive and negative for people that have gone through. But I think for me, that's the, that's, that's the biggest opportunity that I have, for example. And I know talking to other sellers, it's about, hey, I know what I need to do. I often do it. But what do I do when, I, when things go wrong and I, and, and I go back? How do I get back on the on, on track, you know? And I and I deviate from the track. How do I get back on that track? So I think that's a, some great sound advice. That, that, just just with that, Luigi, that's actually the 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 demarcation point from great to a superstar. There, in my view, there's subtle differences that make someone great versus someone a superstar. And the superstar is very skillful at recognizing when they're off and they can realign quicker. Those are those subtle things, but they're fucking game changers. Mm. And you know that, like dealing with the the top salespeople in industries, their ability to to cope with that, Mm. okay, I'm off. What do I need to do to realign, reassess? And they can do that in a shorter period of time. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, and, I, and I've I've been fortunate to interview some incredibly high performers from a variety of sectors. And I find that is a consistent theme, right? It's recognizing in a short period of time and adjusting and pivoting quickly so that they don't go into that slump, which is one month, two months, three months. And then you're into the, what I call the oh fuck period which is right. It's I'm getting performance managed. I'm now on, I'm now on a job board. I'm considering changing careers. Like it crashes, you know, it's, and it's a really dangerous point for people because especially if sales has been your only, only career profession, like it's been your only vocation and you get to that point and going, Holy crap, I'm rewarded. I'm paid on the numbers that I deliver. Right. And then all of a sudden, I'm not performing. I'm questioning my capability. I'm looking on for another career. I'm 40 years old, whatever age you are, going, what do I do now? I've got a family, I've got a mortgage. The, the pressure starts to compound. I start, and then I start getting a bit, you know, negative mindset. And I'm like, well, what do I do next? And so, you know, I think what you're saying is critical, um, is that recognizing it, embracing it, and that's one of the things that I keep telling salespeople and sales professionals is embrace the negative aspect that comes with selling. You know, embrace that emotional ride and, in, you know, don't deny it. Don't try to um, 
Stop it. Uh, don't say, I've just got to keep pushing positive, positive affirmations on. Recognize it, identify it, make some adjustments, and then work on it. And what will happen if you go back to the basics, I keep saying this, sales is a very, very simple process. And often we try to reinvent something that doesn't need to be reinvented. We just got to get the basics right. So absolutely love what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. But RJ, for, for anyone listening now that's looking um, to connect with you because, you know, we're coming to that point of end and I think you've got an incredible podcast that, in, it, you know, you've interviewed some incredible people so far. It's early on in the journey. Um, but where can they connect with you? Uh, how can they listen to your podcast? And we'll also put those notes in the show notes for everyone. Yeah, for sure. So I, I mainly play on LinkedIn, RJ Singh, I'm, I'm Ultra Habits, core group also www.ultrahabits.co, not com.co. You'll yep. have all the podcasts there, all the information about me, where to find me is on that website. Um, we do a bit of Instagram, but it's not really our thing. So mainly LinkedIn, yep. that, that website's the place to go. Okay, fantastic, mate. Well, look, I, I think your story has been amazing today. I've loved the conversation. I think we could probably do another podcast and, and break some of these things down, um, but really value the content that you put out. Um, I've been connected with you for some time on LinkedIn. I'm really enjoying your podcast. Um, so I want to say thanks for the contribution you're making to our profession and for the content that you're putting out there to help sales professionals you know, be the best they can be. No worries. And I, I want to close on this. For any salesperson that is in that place that Luigi just talked about where you're finding you're, you're, you're lost and, and the, the things that have made you successful, you've stopped and you're starting to get that anxiety and people are looking at your performance and you're questioning your capability and who am I if I can't sell and all that shit that goes through our heads. It's at that time that you need to narrow your vision. Mm. Focus on the controllables. Don't worry about what him, her, and everyone around you saying or doing, focus on what are my next steps to get back on track. One foot in front of the other. That's all we, that's ultimately all we can do and all we have control over. Anyways, I'll leave it there. RJ, appreciate you, brother. Thanks, bro.